0: This is Montgomery County Council President Hans Reamer, and we're listening to Conduit Street, the MAKO podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canali here with my co-host back in the studio. Mako's executive director, Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. Michael, how are you today?
0: I'm I'm doing okay. I think I brought back some sort of resilient bug with me from uh, from the plains of North Dakota, but I'm trying to muster through.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, we'll see if we can get through this episode. <laughs> so today on the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about the Next Generation 911 Commission. They've begun to meet. We'll give you an update on some of the preliminary recommendations there. We'll also give you an update on the Kerwin Commission, the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education. Also, some news there. We'll look ahead to the meeting on October thirty first, and then we will talk about libraries in the twenty first century. And we have a lot to discuss there. So, really looking forward to doing that, Michael. Yep. Some of the offerings and, and really where our libraries are going in the future.
0: Yeah, this sort of cracked open for us. We saw a piece in the piece in the you know news of the weird sort of thing, and uh, both of us did a little bit of digging, and it's something to talk about.
1: So first of all, Michael, I have had more than one person ask me if you have been in Guam. Uh, You haven't been on the last two episodes, and I told them, if he is in Guam, that's a major issue because that is a full crew right. trip. Yeah, yeah. we'd have to bring the whole podcast, right. right? The
0: whole, you know, the whole team, the, the 35 people we have doing all the technical work and all the sound crew and the editors Absolutely. and stuff. Absolutely. Everybody would have to go to, to so, Guam. So, no. so you, this wasn't Guam. No, I was, I was in South Dakota, which okay. is, uh, uh, another place I haven't been, but, uh, got a chance to, to visit there at a small conference with my peers, uh, the, the directors of state county associations. And it's, it's my best professional development conference every year. It's it's a conference built exactly for me, which is sometimes my grievance when I go to other larger conferences. I'm like, oh, the Mabe conference is great. If you're a school board member, I'm here and I'm sort of in the periphery. I'm not really in the bullseye. One time a year, I get to go to an event that's really built just for me.
1: So did you see Mount Rushmore?
0: Oh yeah, we missed. I was in South Dakota, you know, twenty minutes away. Just never. No, of course. Of course, I mean, you did. I, 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 that's of course what you do, you. right? So we did South. we did Mount Rushmore, Crazy Horse. Got over to Devil's Tower in Wyoming. It Was we did you know the whole trifecta? It was
1: good. That's awesome. So he was on in Guam. In case anyone is wondering, that is still on the table, maybe for a future trip. But that's the entire cast yeah, pending, sure. yes. pending. Pending. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Commission to Advance Next Generation 911 across Maryland. We have discussed Next Generation 911 on this podcast extensively. If you want to go back and listen, please feel free, but This was a MAKO initiative last year to get this commission set up and really develop ways, getting the experts in the room of how Maryland can best move forward to next generation 911.
0: Right. It's a a big county issue. I mean, we've talked about this as sort of a foundational sort of thing. Public safety and connecting people with the help they need is foundational for county governments, not just in Maryland, but anywhere. So this is our job. And the structure to do it is Technically complicated. It's financially complicated. And this issue set itself up perfectly for let's get a group together. I think, I think people are appropriately hesitant about task forces and commissions and things like that. Um, this was a case where I think that made sense. And I think it's proving to be the right course because this commission is working hard, is generating content already. And by the end of this year, I think we'll have a pretty good roadmap.
1: Yeah, this commission is working very hard. This was their second meeting in person, but I can tell you covering this commission, they have conference calls every single day. You have representatives from county government, from state government, from the private sector working hard to figure this out. And we did see some preliminary recommendations. Number one, Michael, the finance subcommittee. So we know in Maryland, we do things a little differently than other states. We charge a 911 fee per bill instead of per device. So that means if you have a family plan with five cell phones, you're only paying one 911 surcharge $1 instead of 5 right. and and that's very different than other states.
0: Right. We're on an island here. We're the only jurisdiction that does it this way. And that, and that goes back to the way the Maryland law was written decades ago uh when you know whenever these things were set up the idea of per bill and per line meant the same thing to us then. They sure don't know.
1: That's right. So we have all kinds of de- devices that can contact 911. So the finance subcommittee their preliminary recommendation is to make this a per device fee. With some sort of cap, if you're a large business and you have 200 phone lines, you know, maybe you don't pay $200, but there's a cap in there somewhere. We just don't know exactly where that's going to be right. just yet.
0: So details, TBA, but the framework, you know, the framework of putting Maryland on par with the surrounding states and really the whole country is a pretty sensible direction to go and it being driven by needs we know we have. I mean, there are other components of this work group and we know We know the expenses involved in getting to the next generation of service, better location, receiving information in new forms, better mapping technology. All that stuff is important. It's going to cost money. So, you marry modernizing the revenue side with the modern needs of a new system and i think you know this is this is a bundle you can bring to the legislators and say you know we've 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 worked this out
1: and of course when you're going to the legislature and you're maybe talking about changing fees they're going to want to know about oversight and accountability right yep. just like anything else so there is an oversight and accountability subcommittee and what they've said so far is that 911 is an inherent responsibility of county governments and that it should remain so, but that the state should be supporting locals and providing assistance. The state should develop requirements and provide guidance to local 911 authorities so that they can know how to best procure next-gen 911 equipment. And then also interoperability is a big deal so that if, if Michael, you have a 911 call center and you have you know 50 calls coming in at one time, you can right. transfer some of that to me right. in a neighboring jurisdiction when I don't have that volume. Right,
0: so a big accident or a big disaster You need to be able to say, okay, you know, Talbot can send this over to Queen Anne's County, and Queen Anne's can pick up the overflow and still have data to work with and mapping information and so forth. So, you you never want nine one one to result in a busy, you know, spillover and 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 compatibility like that is a big part of the next steps.
1: And then, of course, the technology and cybersecurity subcommittee, what they're recommending is just a mandatory adoption of cybersecurity standards and best practices. We know this is a big deal not just for next generation 911 but yeah. county governments are dealing with cybersecurity across the board.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean we've we've talked about this uh regarding elections and our our budget information and personnel and so forth. Uh 911 same story. You want to have you want to be protected. It's it's a bigger issue than it was 10 years ago sadly, but it's it's on the radar now.
1: Also, improving 911 for people with disabilities and others that are using assistive technologies. Mm-hmm. That's a big component of this. And then the staffing subcommittee first of all new training requirements new ideas for recruitment and retention and then recognizing telecommunicators as the true first first responders and that's of course in partnership with law enforcement firefighters and EMS professionals
0: and i think that's that's a that's a phrase that has a certain resonance the first first responders we know there's a blanket of people whose job it is to respond to a crisis or a call for help but usually the first contact for somebody who's in that crisis is the 911 dispatcher the tele communications professional who picks up the call and decides how to send it, how to to, find the help that you need.
1: So that's where we are so far. Again, that was their second meeting. They meet next in November, and they have a final report due to the General Assembly on December 1. So a lot of work going on behind the scenes, but I think this has been really, really fantastic so far.
0: Well, I mean, and the idea is to hand off to the legislature in this coming legislative session a product that has been thought out, that where you know that we've tied down the loose ends, and we have the idea. I mean, this all is brought together. So a lot of people could do work in September, October, November, so that by the time it's February, you have a bill hearing. Instead of saying, here's some general ideas, you say, here's a plan, and we've got four panels of people to explain to you why this is the right way to go.
1: Yeah, and they're not just county experts. They're not just state experts. We have all of the stakeholders in the room, and I think that's really important. Sure. All right, Michael. Let's jump into the commission on innovation and excellence in education, also known as the Kerwin Commission. Kerwin Michael, again? Yes, Kerwin. We love Kerwin. It. <laughs> You've been, you know, you've been in Guam or, or South Dakota for a few weeks. So, you know, you haven't been around. But we have to preface this by saying we don't have any new numbers. We know everybody is eagerly anticipating those numbers. Still drumming fingers, on right? That. Right. We're, we're waiting. We're we're in the same boat. But there was an interesting presentation, Michael, at the last meeting from the Department of Legislative Services talking about how the education formulas work. Does that maybe signal that, Michael, this commission is going to start tackling issues before they're finished? There's a short timeline here, but some of these issues that we're talking about, like how we calculate wealth are big deals. Is there time, you think, for the commission to dive into all this?
0: <laughs> so, I I mean, what's the answer right now? I guess we don't know, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think a, a few weeks ago, you know, three or four weeks ago, you and I were – Doing a podcast and we sort of speculated, said there's just not going to be enough time. It's already, you know, late September. There's no way this commission is going to be able to pick up and really digest and decide what to do about the wealth formulas and how do you account for untaxable land and what do you do about declining enrollment and, um, you know, the, the, these, these different facets that we always thought was going to be a big part of their work. Um it it just it doesn't seem like there was time. Mm -hmm. So we're in late September saying, okay, guess not. It look you know, the clock is ticking, they're into their they've already extended for one year. They gotta get done by this year, and nobody seems to be talking about another year extension, so this is probably it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've sort of we sort of were wringing our hands saying it looks like it's over. They're not gonna get to those topics. Then this presentation really just by by the legislative services own staff, and we we posted the document on the Mako blog. It was you know fifteen pages mm-hmm. or so, like one page on the wealth formula, like three bullets. Right, it was a, right. you know, a big PowerPoint thing, and it, it was fine mm-hmm. if what you were trying to do was to get somebody not zero to sixty, but like zero to twenty right. on the basic General understanding, idea. yeah, like just the the basic framework of here's how we fund education. So they sort of checked that box, but the conversation around that between commission members and the staff was sort of, okay, why Why are we hearing this? And the answer seemed to be, well, because we're going to need to tend to these things. My hair was on fire thinking, now, does this mean suddenly we're going to open – we're going to open all these topics for fresh discussion. Are we going to rewrite all these laws in the next month? In a month. Right? Right. So um, the answer still is we don't know. Um that we have we haven't seen the preliminaries toward doing that it's not like they've distributed work papers for the October 31st meeting that say okay we're going to spend 90 minutes talking about the wealth formula and how it might be changed and what the consultant group did a couple of years ago and they made they had some thoughts and suggestions and so forth so we, we, it doesn't seem like the pieces are in place for that, but um, I guess we don't know.
1: We don't know. So they are meeting again on October 31st, and hopefully then, I mean, Michael, we'll record a podcast a day or two after that meeting, most likely. Hopefully, by then, we'll at least see some of the preliminary cost estimates that we've been talking about for what seems like forever. Right. But in terms of all of these other issues and the time remaining, it's 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 not known what the commission is going to do moving forward, but hopefully, we'll start to see some numbers on Halloween.
0: So So there are different of opinion here not it's not just us who's clueless here Uh, i think other stakeholders are similarly pacing the floors a little bit about whether the scope has just expanded or is this group really going to be done in this calendar year to hand off to the legislature for this coming session we all assume so right but um I, I, I don't know.
1: <laughs> All right. So we'll have to look forward to next week to Halloween. The Kerman Commission. That sounds scary. Sounds a little scary. Right? Maybe we'll see some scary, spooky numbers.
0: Tricks or treats, maybe. Right?
1: Tricks or treats. Could <laughs> be some treats, too. All right. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about 21st century libraries and we'll also update you on early voting here in Maryland. All that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street podcast. Kevin Canali here with Michael Sanderson. Michael, October 25th, Thursday, as we record, early voting has begun in Maryland.
0: So we are into this window of time and I think we we talked a couple of weeks ago about the registration deadline. We've talked previously about same day registration that might be coming toward Maryland um you had to walk in to the to the precinct and actually register that day on the day of. We already have a process though where a, even after the regular deadline you can go to an early voting location and register and vote. So if you haven't registered and you're inclined to vote this fall, which you should be, right? Then you still have a window at every single County has at least one early voting location. You can go there, register today. You've got a little more than a week's time to do that. Um, you can register and vote in the early in the early sessions.
1: Yeah, just bring some document that shows that you're a resident of the county. You should be able to register to vote. You should be voting, so get out there and do it. Also, early voting, avoid the lines. I mean, Michael, I know you're a right. mail-in ballot guy. Yeah, I'm a
0: mail-in. I already I already have my. Uh, I've got done. my my absentee ballot, and I'm you know leafing through it and so forth. Um,
1: yeah. Just Thanks. vote. That's very important. And let's talk about libraries in the 21st century. Now, you mentioned earlier. This came up when I think we saw a story from New York City about right. what they were offering in their libraries.
0: Yeah, we're sharing, you know, an article that was just circulating on the internet about I think it's the New York City Public Library was they they had purchased some business attire, basically, you know, gently used business attire. That was available for loan to citizens who needed it for a particular circumstance, a job interview or something of that nature.
1: Fantastic idea.
0: Right. So, I, I mean, it got, you know, when the two of us started thinking about, you know, maybe this is a podcast item, I wonder if there's much to talk about that libraries are doing that's, you know, bigger and wider and more innovative than the old school libraries, just shelves of books. You come in, you dust, you know, you blow the dust off a book, you rent it out for a couple of weeks. And then if you're like me, you pay a few cents a day or something <laughs> after you forget to bring it back on time. But, you know, in, it, it, have libraries grown so much beyond that old vision? And, you know, we, we did a little bit of talking within Maryland, a little bit of digging. and. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it turns
1: out if you haven't been to a library recently and you think that you're going to walk in and blow the dust off the books, that <laughs> right. that's not what you're going to find. Maryland has a fantastic system. And really the motto now for our libraries is learn, engage, and be entertained. And I think that is quite a step forward from what most people think libraries are or what they used to be.
0: Right. It's It's actually – it's interesting. Um, there's always been a little bit of a debate about whether you should consider funding for public libraries to be a subset of funding for education because promoting literacy. I mean, when, when Andrew Carnegie and, and the various founders of the whole modern concept of, of public libraries. The whole idea was to promote literacy and to make sure there was never a shortage of things to read for people who wanted to do so. And that's a really noble Mm -hmm. calling, and it probably makes our citizenry a a stronger society if people are reading and have things to read and so forth. But the expansion beyond reading is a really interesting idea. Um, I, I think it's challenging, but Really, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on, even just here in Maryland. Set aside New York City and and Retina Suit. There's a lot of stuff happening here in Maryland.
1: So, Michael, you had mentioned that in Anne Arundel County, our home county, you had heard that there were ukuleles available at your local library, right?
0: Right. So, so the idea of and I mean, who 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 wants to go out and buy an unusual musical instrument to see if it's something you might like to learn to play? The idea of, hey, there's a few on loan at one of the one of the branches of a library is a really interesting concept. So m- one of my daughters wanted to play a ukulele. She would played the violin and wanted to try a ukulele. So we ended up finding, oh, the library has them available. That's one way to test and see if it's for you.
1: And not only do they have ukuleles, they have a full collection. So musical <laughs> instruments of all types, of all sizes, they have them at the library, which I didn't know and I think is fantastic. Michael, did you also know that you could rent... Fishing rods, sewing machines, huh. bikes. They have an American girl doll collection. I mean, did you know all of this was available at the library? I, I didn't. I didn't
0: I, I didn't know, but like we, we, we sort of, you know one of those things you 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 lift up a log and you find all stuff that's underneath I, there's there's an awful lot happening at public libraries in Maryland and, and elsewhere. It's not like we're on an island and nobody's doing this. I'm sure the libraries in Illinois and California and Guam are all full of you know of opportunities for both learning and experiences. Like, you know, learn, engage, and be entertained. It's a wider swath than just, hey, everybody get out there and read.
1: Also, one of my favorite programs that I heard about was they have an action figure collection, and basically, this action figure goes out into with a backpack. And also, in that backpack is a journal. And when a child rents this this backpack and the action figure, they write the story of the action figure while they have it out on loan. They bring it back. The next kid rents that backpack and the action figure, and they add to that story. I think that's really innovative and awesome. And these kids are learning how to write. They're journaling, and they don't even mm-hmm. know it because they're having so much fun.
0: Right. That's a. I mean. The idea of you add an eight dollar you know plastic action figure along with an empty journal and you basically turn that into an ensemble that somebody can borrow for a, for a window of time knowing it's going back but then that becomes part of the attraction right mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not it's not just you have your own experience but document it so other people will know what interesting things happened to you know spiderman or or whatever while you know while he was in your care that's pretty neat I
1: think that's really neat right. And then, Michael, let's talk about just the role of the library of introducing people to new and exciting concepts. And we're talking here about 3D printing, which we also have in our libraries, augmented reality, innovation labs, artificial intelligence. These technologies are in our libraries. A lot of people probably don't even know it. You can go and you can use 3D printers, which are all the rage right now, right? Right, right. But all of these concepts, the role of the library really is to introduce people to this stuff and let them try
0: it out. So, I mean, that's... The idea of providing a community at large access to something that may not be accessible to everybody in the individual home was was really always the idea of the library. I mean, going back to the the full set of encyclopedias back, back – I'm old enough to remember when encyclopedias were a thing. But uh, when I was a kid, you'd go to the library and you might actually look things up in reference materials that were at the library because we just assumed – people don't necessarily have the capacity to afford a full set of encyclopedias or the Oxford English Dictionary or something like that. But your community can chip in and have sets of encyclopedias or research documents or things like that. And I think it's interesting because
1: when the internet came along, I think a lot of people thought, man, this is the end of the library. Nobody needs a library anymore. But that's not true.
0: Right. And And so, I mean, I know my family, we, you know, we, we do a lot of interesting cooking and we get cookbooks from the library routinely. My daughter is really starting to get engaged in cooking, wants to learn a lot of things. And a library is a great way to expand your horizons without necessarily, you know, buy three books on Moroccan cooking. All right. Maybe you can rent a book on Moroccan cooking. And another thing that's, that's great in the, in the modern era is if the local library doesn't have the thing that you're looking for, Whether it's a book or something else, the the notion of an interlibrary loan used to be really convoluted. There's a lot of paperwork and so forth. But now it's become a relatively routine thing to say, Cecil County's got the book that you're looking for. We'll get it to you in three days.
1: Yeah, and I mean in in Maryland, they can get it to you within one day with no charge. And I think that is also a testament to our system here in Maryland. Also, Michael, we know that these are community gathering places – you know They host early literacy centers for not only children, but also for their caregivers to help them interact and to give them advice. I mean, anything you need, you it's basically available at the library. And if it's not available, they're open to hearing your recommendations and suggestions for creating programs because that's what they're all about.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly public libraries have evolved into multifaceted community centers still i mean i think the core kernel of the library remains the community collection available for loan to the community and so you you broaden people's exposure that way but it certainly is way way beyond books it's way beyond computer and internet and it's turned into you know a gathering space a place to enrich and learn and i think it's it's expanded beyond the notion of education and literacy we're still doing a lot of that but um, the experiences are, are are further afield. And that, that's interesting, I
1: think. Yeah, and of course, they've evolved with you know modern society. They have self-checkout now in libraries. They have online payments. So when Michael forgets to bring his book back and it's been a couple of years, he can just go <laughs> online. and He doesn't have to go in there and face the librarian right. who right. you don't so want to face in that city. terrible. Right. <laughs> but, Michael, I think it is interesting when we think about the library and, you know, being able to go in and use 3D printers or to check out artificial intelligence or new technology. Technologies. What kind of impact does that have on the private sector? I,
0: I, I guess there's a, there's there's a policy question there that it, that is interesting. I mean, I think it's a little more than purely academic. Is there, there's a notion of uh, user pays for public services, and this is this is a constant tension in the provision of public services. You know, to what extent do you want to pay for all the functions of a park by park admissions? And if you say every cost affiliated with the park of of keeping it tidy and secure and staffed and so forth, we're going to pay all of that with the cost to get into the park. You might make it so that it's prohibitive for people to get in and enjoy the park, right. and you defeat the purpose of the park. So. There's, there's this natural tension about providing public services either at the expense of everybody through general revenues and taxes, or do you do it based on the user? Like at the library, there's sort of the same thing. Um, if, if, if rent, if. Borrowing a musical instrument or using the 3D printer is free for every user. Then effectively you said, okay, the, the citizenry at large, we're going to pay for that through taxes, not through the user. Or do you end up with user fees that say, okay, if you want to use the 3D printer, you have to pay for the materials. It's going to cost you, you know, $5 per use or some other number like that, that. That is some approximate cost of its use. Do you apportion that out so the thing pays for itself? These are kind of interesting questions and i guess Mm -hmm. you know i mean is there someone out there who has a business idea that i want to i want to put a 3d printer at the kinkos so that the citizens can use it and pay for it Mm -hmm. and i want to charge them 15 dollars per use but my business has been shut down because the public library is two doors down and they're doing this for free i guess there is sort of a free enterprise versus public sector you know provision um there's a there's an there's an argument there that that uh, maybe there's a boundary here for for, for libraries, but. Um I think it's still exciting to see some of these things provided, you know, more largely as, as a public benefit.
1: Yeah, I mean, and on the other hand, though, if you have that business and you, you want to get people exposed to your technology, having it at the library allows people to go and check it out and use it. Right. And then maybe they go home and they want to go and buy your thingamajiggy and mm-hmm. use it in, in their home. So right. I think it works both ways, but certainly interesting policy questions in, in terms of what the library has to offer and what their role should be. But bottom line, I think the library system in Maryland is fantastic and they're doing some amazing things. You know, they have another program where you essentially borrow a person and you'll go in, Michael, and maybe there's a kid who wants to learn about being the executive director of an association in yeah, government. No, yeah, nobody, right? nobody uh, wants probably to nobody, that but, <laughs> but, but maybe you're a firefighter. Okay. Right, yeah, something it, more uh, interesting. Right? Yeah, yeah, so a kid can go in there and you actually check out Michael mm-hmm. Sanderson and you get him right. for 20 minutes and you just right. talk. And even even I mean, anybody who just wants to talk to somebody to learn about something new to that is such an innovative and awesome idea. And they're getting volunteers from all different industries. And if you want to do this, go and volunteer because they're looking for volunteers. But I just think that's another awesome, awesome program that's connecting people together who otherwise may have not connected.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, this, this, this started as an idle conversation between the two of us about, Hey, New York City's doing this interesting thing, renting out business suits and the like. I wonder if there's, you know. Equally interesting stuff happening in Maryland libraries, and we were overwhelmed by what we discovered by just doing a little bit of scratching.
1: Yeah, so hopefully you've learned a little bit and you're excited to go to the library now. Go to your local library's website. There's always innovative programs going on, so check it out.
0: And yet another fundamental local government, county government function here in Maryland. Each each library system has its own board, but the libraries fundamentally are supported by county governments and your county government taxes.
1: All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Conduit Street Podcast. Michael, we are looking forward to the Kerwin Commission next week. Anything else you're looking forward to coming up?
0: I think um, yeah, we, know, we know we have the elections on the horizon, so we're not too far out from there. And that will provide uh, its own level of entertainment, no doubt.
1: Yeah, so maybe next week, I know, I'm know i sure we'll talk about Kerwin, but maybe we can also talk a little bit about the upcoming election and give a little bit of a preview. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so that'll do it for today. For Michael, this is Kevin Canale signing off. We will talk to you soon. We'll you